0: Welcome to Adventures in Podyssey, a reflective road trip towards our wit's end. Pop in your favorite cassette tapes and come along for the ride as we discuss faith, culture, and all the ways we were bullied growing up in evangelicalism.
1: episode is sponsored by all our male friends who thought they would be married by now and our female friends who ensured that wasn't going to happen. Remember kids, Pitbull has been there done that. Amen. Hey, thank I'd God.
0: Like- <laughs> I'd like to thank our sponsor.
1: All guys people be- said thank God for
0: Pitbull. <laughs> cool. All right. Welcome back everyone to Adventures in Potency a virtual... No, what is it? A... You do this every Are time. None drinking? of us know it.
1: A road trip towards our wits end.
0: Is it just road trip, or is there an adjective in front of it? It's like reflective or something. Reflective. I don't know. A reflective road trip towards our wits end. Um, today you're
1: definitely at my wits end. (laughs) (laughs) There's there's like the stages of substance abuse happening right now. It's water, (laughs) caffeine, and a cocktail, and it's two ten in the afternoon.
0: We will let you, our loyal listeners, guess who is drinking what by the end of this episode. (laughs) Oh
1: yeah. Uh, tweet us your uh, thoughts. Who's drinking water? Who has a coffee and who has a cocktail? Whoever's right gets nothing. Um, okay. but yeah, Not that I want you... this to be recorded, but I tweeted
0: UTK today and thanked them for giving <laughs> everyone COVID and said, go balls. <laughs> <laughs> and my tweet is no longer live. Like it's gone.
1: Really? I didn't see it.
0: Are you sure it's gone or like did you? I tweeted it and I saw that it published. Then I clicked on it, like on the tweet on its own, and it was there. And then 15 minutes later, I went back to look at it and it was just
1: gone. Well, sometimes when you tweet stuff, like you sometimes have- UTK thinks that they have a chokehold no, on the entire I- southern United States.
0: Twitter I didn't. like that's a conspiracy like for sure it got taken down if anything twitter oh. just flagged it as a COVID right information it wasn't UTK. yeah but i prefer to think that utk did it or like you just this.
1: accidentally like replied to them instead of actually tweeted them no i tweeted them no I, it's still there emily <laughs>
0: it, it literally wasn't it's it was gone i swear i it swear it was not there, there. if not you go to your down. if you go to
1: your twitter it's not under tweets it's under tweets and replies it was not there. I swear. I checked both places. It was not there. I swear. It doesn't right. even. Ha- it has no likes. So Twitter was just embarrassed of you, as they should be. Anyways, please don't edit this out. Okay. That's all yeah. I to say. Okay. Anyways, UT can honestly go like do things that are not speakable because screw them for like m- literally not giving a crap about our student body. The Vols just want to win, and so they're just shooting for high COVID numbers. Yeah, it just shows up <laughs> under your replies. And How there. many Tennessee Tech fans can we kill at this game?
0: I swear it was not under my replies either. I promise you. No, it's not. No, that happens
1: sometimes when you tweet people. Like that happened to me when I hate tweeted Dave Ramsey. Oh. <laughs>
0: that's
1: my what, point that's- is, no matter where I went to look, it was not visible. <laughs> well, it is still out there somewhere. What are we talking about today? Oh. I That's not know. college football, or COVID. Why do I need um, to blow my
0: nose. Welcome back, everyone! Since you last joined us, we are now in three different locations. Um, Claire has made the the journey back to uh, the Big Orange. Uh, Emily has relocated to Charlotte, North Queen Carolina. City, baby. And I don't want to brag, but I've done at least three loads of laundry since the last time I recorded. Only three, so. Things are going really well over here, but today we are talking about, we actually didn't title this, what did we, actually that's a good point, we need to move on to to our new segment, so we're tabling the Twitter segment today, the finding tweets of the- I found a tweet, my own tweet.
1: <laughs>
0: actually, <laughs> you did no you didn't,
1: it. I found it.
0: Um, And we're actually – we're in a new segment. Um, We highly encourage you to stick around for it. This is called Claire's Soapbox. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) this is based on feedback from the last episode um, where (laughs) people are like, dang, Claire has a lot to say about a lot of things. And I was like, and I've edited about – edited out about 20 minutes (laughs) of Claire saying other things. So we think
1: (laughs) – <clears throat> One day, can we just make a ma- mega compilation of like the cuts of me from the podcast? <laughs> oh, I don't. I, that sounds like a lot. That would be little hours of work.
0: But um, we figured we give Claire her soapbox today. She gets 60 seconds unfiltered, unedited to talk about whatever she wants, whatever topic she wants. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, as long as she's not, you know, swearing or dropping little heresies, um, I will not edit it out. I won't filter it. Uh, and Claire, what's your topic today?
1: Um, today's topic is why we should abolish Greek life.
0: All right, Claire, you have <laughs> seconds starting now. Go on your second. Okay. Uh,
1: according to the Guardian, uh, fraternity members are three hundred percent more likely to commit a rape, a rape. Um, and so frats should for sure be abolished. Um, sorority rushing is classist and racist, and also, as we all saw from TikTok, really freaking annoying and promotes the just uh, baseless obliteration of our planet through fast fashion. Um, so I think we should abolish Greek life and instead just um, uh, tear down their, oh, the one, one of the houses on uh, UT is built on a civil war battlefield. So I think we should just like nix that and just let that be a, gr- a, a little haunted graveyard. Cause that's scary to me. So yeah, uh, screw Greek life. <laughs>
0: Cool, you did that in forty three seconds. Good job.
1: Yeah, no more berries and cream for the little lads and frats. No, they're also they're just so annoying to like sit near in (laughs) class. (laughs) Technically, she had like fifteen seconds. Yeah, that's true. But come on, it definitely does not roll over.
0: I am not feeling generous.
1: Do you guys remember? Hold up, this isn't the soapbox, but do y'all remember when an unnamed former friend of ours told us that he wanted to rush? Why did I know exactly when you said "unknown" or uh, "unnamed former friend"?
0: Exactly who it was, even though I didn't know where the story was going.
1: That's impressive because there's a lot of those. But he I was know. like, "I'm gonna rush," and I, I think I, I think I became like, uh, you know, and like Stranger Things, and like the Demogorgon, like goes like, Wah! I think that's what I did. Fair. Cool. Anyways, what are I- we talking about today?
0: I just wanted to make up <laughs> a quick. Plug! Thank you for all of the really kind feedback that we got on the last episode and for the people who messaged us and just said um, some very nice things um, to three very slanderous Brown sisters. I guess that's I got my very is. first Twitter DM. Nice. It
1: was positive, too. It was not hateful. I was shocked. I can't wait to get my first hate Twitter DM. Can't wait. It's, it'll come from me. <laughs> Thank you also for not sticking the Dave Ramsey dogs on us, everybody. Yeah, well, it's fine. All right.
0: Today we're talking about um, Emily. Do you want to kind of give a quick little um, breakdown of our little thesis statement here? Since you worked so hard on this outline. Uh Listen. All right. Come on now um so yeah so not worked very hard on the outline that is not true I just didn't put anything in the document <laughs> <laughs> truthfully though truthfully I have done reading research and reflection and dated day, for Jesus 8 to 9 a.m. almost every single day this past week so that's my pod prep time what we're really getting at talking about today is Christians who are involved in romantic relationships, whether those are married or not, and how oftentimes uh, those relationships are destroyed with the, quote, sold out for Jesus mentality. And so we really want to dig into why that is the case and what kind of leads up to to some of that relational implosion. Yeah. I think um, if you grew up in any kind of evangelical like youth group culture type thing or on the fringe of it, um, you're definitely you're hit with uh, Emily had a good quote, maybe it was Emily a couple episodes back about um, the the idea of like. Oh shoot! Chasing after Jesus so
1: hard that you don't. That was me.
0: That was you. Can you repeat it so I don't butcher it, please?
1: It's a very stupid Pinterest quote. Um, I don't. I don't know if I directly found it on Pinterest when I was a young, young, uh, a little lad. <laughs> um, but, and, and I remember it specifically because one of again one of our old friends actually had like shared it or something. Um, and what was it? (laughs) It was like chase after Jesus for so hard that the only person basically that you'll ever pay attention to is someone who can like keep up with you or something. And it was, it was so stupid.
0: Which I think that, I mean, that's fine on the surface. There's nothing necessarily wrong. There's nothing wrong with that. Like that idea, that quote, but that I think is a good touch point for what we want to talk about today, which is how that idea, the idea of like, sprinting so hard and so fast after Jesus that you only have room for other people who can keep that pace all the time, (laughs) always being so sold out for Jesus that you only have room for people who are as equally on fire as you are. That's something that you're taught, I think, or we were taught. And I I hear from other people and a lot of, like I said, evangelical youth group culture. And I think it manifests itself even as adults, to some degree, especially if you remain active in church or in ministry. Um, And we just started, we we started talking a couple weeks ago. Um, There was a really interesting article that our girl, Sheila Gregoire, put out that (laughs) got us talking about like, is this actually like a healthy way to live and date and to think about relationships and people? Or are there actually maybe some potentially negative consequences here? So today we're talking about why you shouldn't date for Jesus. Yeah. All right, let's jump into it. So we have a list of three dudes, Jim Elliott, A.W. Tozer, and William Carey, and they had two things in common. What were those two things? Aren't they all dead? Yeah, that's one thing. Good job. Good job. No wrong wrong answers. There (laughs) are wrong answers. I mean, (laughs) none of them were women. That's a wrong answer. (laughs) Okay. What are the two things that these guys have in common? Another one. They all had unhappy wives. Yeah. Yeah, What's the
1: second one that you're mentioning? Somebody. Or like they're all in ministry or like missionary. They're all like. I mean, A. W. Tesla wasn't a missionary.
0: They're all kind of not idols of the faith, but they're all people who have been very much canonized, venerated saints. Venerated. Big Jesus guys. Jim Elliot was like one of big Jesus boys. First, like modern day missionaries in the sense that he helped pioneer uh, using aviation to reach unreached people groups. He um, helped. Um, he went where no other Christians were willing to go at the time into the depths of was it the Amazon. Um, and he ultimately lost his life to bring the gospel to unreached people groups. Um, his very, he has got a very famous life and death story. Um, a. W. Tozer, everyone knows for his very, um, very popular books um, and essays on what it means to self-trained in- theologian. Is that what he called him? What he called himself? No, but that's what he was. <laughs> uh oh. Um, yeah, he wrote um, a bunch of famous books that are still well read in Christian circles today, like *The Knowledge of the Holy* and *Pursuit of God*. Attributes of God. um, I've read a couple of them, Um, and then William Carey was one of the like uh, one of. He's an early American missionary, and he helped um, or he began to bring the gospel to India. Um, But yeah, so very and very very famous um, in again in those missionary evangelical circles. So all very famous, all kind of venerated saints, uh and the Protestant <laughs> Christian, um, especially I would say Baptist, because Baptists had such a strong emphasis on missions, circles. Um and yeah, they all had really unhappy wives and love life. I I, I might not I I will say um for Jim Elliot, I don't I don't know if unhappy wife is the perfect term, but Unhappy girlfriend. <laughs> um, and short lived marriage are definitely two terms there. But do you wanna Claire, do you wanna jump into the next part there? <laughs> kind of describing at least for Jim Elliott since you yeah. Same article.
1: Yeah. So I'm sure most people like know the general gist of it, but um yeah, yeah so never well, like I mean like the general gist of like homie was homie murdered, martyred, I guess, better term. He was and,
0: murdered not not murdered he was murdered yes he did, he did not murder people no he
1: did not murder people um and elizabeth has become like or had become like very popular she wrote a lot of books she wrote one called what is it passion and purity is that what it's called mm-hmm. and i guess this is where she details her relationship with jim um i have never read the book because i'm not that well read um so basically The book details like their relationship and I believe they met in college and um, basically it was very like tenuous and like he like basically didn't want to date her and kind of held her at arm's length and she really liked him and at one point I guess they were dating or in some kind of situationship and so she meets his parents and he told her, he literally said this. To her, that his mother thought she was uncommunicative, possessed of a meek and quiet spirit, but a very poor maker of friends, and hence a poor prospective missionary. So, like from the get-go, Jim and and his parents for him are looking for someone who will be a good missions partner for him. Um, so his whole life is about what he's gonna do for Jesus, um, and then end up getting married. Um, because a job opened up for a married couple specifically, and like throughout the whole book, from what I remember of the article, like or not throughout the whole book, but there's parts of it where Elizabeth basically talks about like how their whole relationship was upset, like was very pure, and like they spent a lot of time talking about like, ha- like how much they wanted to love God more than each other, and like how that translated into like, ha- like a physical relationship, which like they really didn't have one and like any kind of like physical touch was like something to like obsess over of like, was that sinful that you played with my hair? That is something I remember. And um, then she later on gets a letter. I think this is before they're actually dating where he's like gone and made out with a bunch of girls. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> So he's just kind of, like, he's not treating her very well, like, in their situationship phase. And then, like, when they actually start dating, he's like, my mom doesn't like you. And I don't think you'll be a good missions partner. But they end up getting married anyways. So a and beautiful that is, love story.
0: That, and it, Passion and purity is, like, it was kind of I kiss dating goodbye. For uh, another ra- generation. Grandmother. In the sense yeah. that it really – people really, like, looked up to – Jim and Elizabeth and like very much wanted to model their own Christian romances after that, because you know, that was something that they felt was just untouchable in purity and like devotion to Jesus and to his work. So getting um, the book, passion and purity was kind of like a rite of passage, I think for a lot of women starting their dating lives. And it should also be noted that as far as I know, Jim and Elizabeth had a, their marriage was fine, but it was also, like I said, very short-lived because he died um, young, pretty young. Yeah. he did remarry twice, like, like more. So um, I would be interested to know what would have happened if they had been married for, like, five decades.
1: Yeah. Don't want to speculate too much, but personally I would not have put up with a person like that.
0: Emily, do you want to talk about Tozer?
1: Sure. So
0: um, – <laughs> I don't really know that much about Tozer but I'll just stick with him and his wife. Um basically they were married. Um and I don't honestly really know when Tozer died, but I it's my understanding that he was like relatively young to be dying. Um so his wife remarried after his death and she told a biographer and this is in some book somewhere basically that um that Aiden who is Tozer loved Jesus, but her, um, her new husband Leonard loves me. Um, so <clears throat> basically, she, I think what she's getting that is she had a more, um, she felt more cared for in her marriage with Leonard than she did with Tozer in a lot of ways, on a personal level. Um, Tozer refu- routinely refused a paycheck out of piety and often left his wife to manage their household and ch- and children single handedly. Um, from, it's my understanding that Tozer traveled some and did lots of teaching and spent a lot of time studying. Like I said, he was a self-trained theologian Mm -hmm. and there's accounts of him like just spending hours like reading and studying, um, which is not bad, but at the same time that does leave your family and your wife in the lurch a little bit. So William Carey, William Carey is kind of known as the father of, Modern Missions, again, um, he went to India. He married um, a woman named Dolly, Dolly Carey, and um, I don't think it was a love match. I'm not really sure. She was a little bit older than him. They were married for 26 years, but um, he wanted to go to India, like, very, very desperately because it was an unreached um, people group, um, according to him, and he volunteered to be a missionary, and she just didn't want to go. She absolutely refused. Um, she was not on the same page, and he ended up leaving with their oldest child, who was a son, for a while. Um, and then at some point, and then at some point, she did end up caving to his desires, and she went with him to India. Um, So he left her when she was pregnant and had two kids and he went to India with his oldest son. Um, And then eventually, and he literally, he told her because she was refusing to go with him to India. He said, um, her refusal to join the adventure would cause her family to be dispersed and divided forever. She would repent it as long as she lived. Which imagine hearing that from your husband, like your choice to stay behind in the country that you know with the children that we're raising will divide our family. So she packed up and she went to India with him. Um, she, and it drove her out of her mind. She lost um, a young son to, who was like five because the climate was so harsh. They moved multiple times. She developed fevers. Um, what was known at the time as like brain sickness or, or just like she became mentally unwell. Um, and William eventually committed her to an asylum, um, but she didn't die for several years. So she went Insane in India because he made her come with him. So anyways, that's the father of modern missions. Um, so yeah, those, uh, like we said earlier, Elliot and Carrie both revered as missionaries in the Christian church. Pioneers, um, Tozer, famous for kind of like his single-minded devotion to Christ, which really jumps off the page if you read any of his stuff. Like he's just really like very, very all-in, devoted. And we use the term multiple times throughout the outline, sold out for Jesus. Um, And I think kind of now that we've launched off of that little long historical tangent, we grew up being told or hearing from others around us or watching others around us adopt this idea that we're supposed to date people who are like Elliot or like Carrie or like Tozer, people who are very sold out for Christ who remind you that they love Jesus more than you and that they are wholly dedicated to living a lifestyle that makes God very big and makes them very small and that nothing can come between them and the mission that God has for them. Um and so if you want to date them, if you want to marry them or, you know, in platonic relationships, if you want to be friends with them, you you have to be on board with this mission God has for this person. Yeah, you Emily or Claire, do you want to pick up from there?
1: Um, I want to wanna, I wanna add, like, we were also not just encouraged to date people like this. We were encouraged to be like this. Yeah, like, yeah. I, I remember I took a class from actually one of, like, our family friends who I love him dearly. And he is actually him and his wife, I think, are a great example of, like, being sold out for Jesus, but, like, not sacrificing their family's, like, well-being in the long run. Um, but like we read a bunch of books. This was when I was in elementary school or elementary middle school about missionaries. And like, I just remember being like, man, like, I just want to be like that. And like, it's very much pitched to you. But then as you get older, it's like, oh, you won't be, you won't be the mission. You're going to be the missionary's wife. You're going to be the pastor's wife. You're going to be the author and professor's wife. And so it was a lot of a mixed message there. So that's,
0: yeah. yeah, sold out for Jesus for women often ended up looking like being really committed to building up an extensive collection of cookbooks. Yeah, <laughs> sold out and submissive for Jesus. Mm, yeah. Ooh, there Good you go. Sure. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I even remember like when Nathan, after Nathan and I got engaged, I we were at something. I don't even by God's grace, I don't remember where we were or like who was praying for us, but we were. There was someone there were like multiple people praying for us and like like for our marriage that was coming up and someone prayed that um, that we would never love each other more than we loved God. And <laughs> I remember being like praying that two people about to enter an eternal permanent covenant with That's each not other, eternal. not eternal, but like <laughs> permanent unbreakable there you go you got it you're back covenant together that they their love would be minimized (laughs) and their love like i like i get i get what they're saying like obviously god is our first love and but that just like for me was like i'm never i i personally will not pray in my personal prayer life that i will love nathan less than i love god I'm really hoping that there's just a, a like an assumption, like a knowing between me and God that like by loving my husband well, I am loving God well because that is faithful living as a Christian. Um, So I think it's also interesting. This is very different than what I just talked about. But I think when I was growing up in middle school and early high school, books like crazy love by Francis Chan and like all of these like very radical radical by David Platt <laughs> radical by David Platt like which are Do good hard books, things but like like yes yeah. basically this creating this crafting this vision that the Christian life is not just living faithfully it's the Christian life is going and doing something big for God and that's everyone's call and I just never really felt like I was on board with that like I personally have never felt like there's this specific call on my life to do something specific for God. I feel like what's what I see in scripture is to just live faithfully as a human being with the gifts and um other things that God has given me and stewarding those well as like a regular person yeah you mean so, we're not all called to die at the we're we're in the middle of an Amazonian jungle. We're not all difference makers, guys. Like uh-oh. We're not all going to make a difference for Christ in today's world. I'm going to cut that out. Don't you dare.
1: <laughs>
0: no, you Emily, saying? Emily's
1: right though. And I think like just the idea of like you have to do big things for God, it's like that is really I I think about that and I think about our dad who has had like some like crappy jobs. I mean, he was like a high school history teacher. Like that's a not a fun job for in, in his public school system, at least. And like, he's done a lot of other things. And like, he's not like gone out. He, I mean, he's still alive and he's over 50. That's great. But if you're looking at it that way, he hasn't been murdered by someone in the Amazon, Amazonian jungle. So like, in that view he is he a failure or like is it that he's been a faithful like husband and father and like helped us through like spiritual crises and has raised like four kids who are living faithful lives in like various different ways and none of us are in full-time ministry yeah like i remember at our brother's graduation our dad like said something or maybe he was pray- i don't, he wasn't praying he was like speaking about my brother and he was like, My like hope for you is that like you use your talent as like a farmer to like serve those around you. And it's like it's just like can't life just not involve like having to get on a plane? Like there is great value in global missions and in local mission. But also there's great value in the fact that Emily one day is gonna like help people like work through their trauma. And there's great value in that Abby like works somewhere where like they've revitalized the rural economy. Like significantly and help people like start businesses and keep jobs so yeah
0: I mean I don't I think I just want to you know present a caveat here that by no means are we trying to minimize people that do feel like they have a certain call to do something specific um for in ministry or whatever like I'm not saying that that those are not real um I'm just saying that I think it's it. We create an unrealistic expectation when we assume that every single individual, every single Christian, needs to have a very clear call to any certain thing. Um, yeah. When in reality, the call in Scripture is to to walk humbly before God. Like that is our call to live in righteousness, live in holiness, all of the yeah. things that are wrapped up in being a regular Christian, mm-hmm. and that is just as God honoring as whatever xyz call is
1: yeah and also i think like it's totally fine to like have like that call or that like desire to do something and feel like god has like given that to you and it not be full-time ministry because like i think we all have that to a degree like abby wanted has wanted a job like what she has for like ever and stuff and so i don't know like my dream is not to be in a church or like work at a christian school but i've you know? I don't know.
0: I think, um, yeah, I think we, I think establishing first of all that the call to the Christian is not to be extreme or necessarily overtly radical or risk your life on the day. Yeah. For some people it might be. Um, and I would, I'd also like probably venture to guess that for the, for if, uh, if you're called to continually risk your life or put yourself in those hard situations, you probably actually don't want that call because Honestly. Yeah. Um but I think the focus of our discussion today is how that impacts dating relationships and family life because yeah. I think um maybe less so in dating and more so in the way we have worked with others in ministry and been impacted by ministry ourselves. Um I think we have seen some of the positives and negatives of what happens when people say things like, I love God more than I love my children or my spouse. Yeah. And and what what is what does that even mean? How do we break down the nuance of that phrase itself? Because when I hear that, I'm like, well, yes, but also like no.
1: Quantitatively, no. how can you love God more than your spouse? Like what like what does that look like? Like do you have to talk to God in prayer more than you verbally talk to your spouse?
0: Right. So we're gonna like, talk about give that me the numbers. Sure. <laughs> um and then also kind of, you know, again like how not just how it impacts spousal stuff or or dating relationships but how it impacts children as they grow up and as they hear these yeah. things come out of their parents mouths or as they see their parents live in a way where they show like I love God but I don't value you as my child you know so so let's go ahead and get started with kind of the first like overarching discussion question why do you guys think that Christians Use this "sold out for Jesus" mentality, um, or do you think they use it to cover up shortcomings or excuse, or excuse issues in their own lives and development? Yes. All right. Next. No. <laughs> I do think that
1: is the moving case. on.
0: Why? Because we are whitewashed tombs, my friend. That is why. Little lads well, who love berries and cream more than God. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to elaborate on not the not the last part. But.
1: <laughs> How many berries and cream jokes can we fit into this podcast?
0: Um yeah, I'm we are actually sponsored by berries and cream. Um so we have to meet a certain minimum number of references in order to get paid for this this episode. Um but <laughs> So Sheila Gregoire in the article that we referenced at the very beginning says that maybe part of the reason some are sold out for Jesus is because they have vulnerability and intimacy issues and can't get close to anyone else. And it is so easy and natural to be, quote, so sold out for God. So this is an anecdotal observation, but a a lot of the people that I have seen who have this mentality of um, they ha- if they feel a burden for ministry or an intense call for ministry or towards ministry or they fit the personality of you know some someone like that I guess um, they also are at the same time aggressively pursuing relationship not necessarily with a person like a singular person but they're looking
1: aggressively all the time.
0: For they are
1: on the hunt. They like are they the are hunt. scoping out. They are checking for rings on hands. They are looking at Instagram bios to see if it says "I love Jesus and coffee." Like they are on the hunt, and you know who you are. Anyways,
0: um, and I th- I think there's probably like there's a couple things in in behind that motivation. Like there's a desire to obviously you want to have a partner. And I'm like a life mate for what God is sending you into, and then also probably a desire to, you know, avoid falling into sin as a young adult. Which, if you want to hear our thoughts on that, listen to
1: They Want to 14. Have Sex.
0: <laughs> yeah. Listen to episodes <laughs> one and two about how getting married is not going to help cure your sexual sins and failings. Um, but. Yeah, they. I I see a lot of people who are sold out for Jesus and big skirt chasers or big. What's the female equivalent of a skirt of a skirt chaser?
1: I don't. I don't know. I what have is another a one though ring, ring savers, like people who are saving for a ring and they ain't got. To, they don't even have a girl. Like which it t- certainly wasn't my husband. I can tell
0: you that. <laughs> I don't think there's anything wrong with saving for a ring. I think it's no. Fun. I don't
1: either. I just. Th- I, I think it's very telling. When I see someone like that who is doing that and, like, obviously desires a marriage and a relationship in marriage very much and has cycled through several relationships in a pretty short number of years.
0: Looking for that perfect perfect Elizabeth Elliot mate and match. Bessie, she ain't out there.
1: Also, I I think... I mean, and I think this, part of this could be fixed if you just were, I mean, I don't want to say fixed, but like, what is wrong with people going into ministry single? Like, like what is the problem? Lot, I, apparently like single pastors exist, single missionaries exist, single, everything exists. What's like, you are not any, and I, and I understand like it might even impact your being like higher ability at certain organizations or churches. If you want to be a ministry and you're single, like that is definitely something that happens. But if we, we can be a part of the, pe- like of a change to make that stop, then that would be huge because there are people who are called who, to live as they are called. And that is single and not being married. Anyways, sorry. I'm just, I'm just oh, like, heated that about that. I'm, I'm thinking more about like,
0: These people definitely don't feel called to be single. They feel called to be on fire for Jesus, and they got to find the right person for that. They're on fire for Jesus, and they're on fire in other ways. Yeah, their (laughs) loins are aflame. Um. Yeah, I think, like, to be – being called to singleness is not a call that they've ever considered to be (laughs) on their life. Have they considered the call to – Move into a very um urban <laughs> neighborhood in Chicago and church plant, or move to Portland and open up like a monastery there for like artistic Christian types, absolutely, yeah, not have sex for the rest of your life.
1: God has not called me to that absolutely I will be murdered by I'll be murdered in the Amazon, but I will not die a virgin. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh, that is by far the best thing that will be said on today's episode.
0: <laughs> That's the title. There you go. <laughs> we are also sponsored by Virgins of America. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes.
0: That I so anyways, back to the original question. They do people do Christians do use this on fire for Jesus mentality to cover up the flaws in their own. We all have flaws. I understand that. But instead of, but they use it as kind of um, an excuse or a buffer. So the reason they're desperately seeking a partner right now is not because they desperately feel like they have a hole they need to fill that God isn't isn't filling for them right now. That's because they need a a life mate, right? Yeah. Because they they need to start ministry soon. So they they need to have their family lined up. So they can get out and do God's work, and, and in reality, for many of them, it's just it's just a, a hole that you're impatient. They're impatient, and they're not satisfied with where God has them right now. That's I think that's one. That I think it's probably the most common example that I've seen, um, yeah. especially watching so many young people cycle through the camp ministry that we do. Um, that's number one. Can you guys think of anything else? What's the question? Just other ways that you see that sold out for Jesus mentality oh. kind of used as like a cover for an a deep-seated issue or oh yeah a flaw in a person.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think honestly this is spe- this is kind of specific or like not specific. I don't know. Um not in terms of relationships, but I well in relationships, but not just romantic relationships. I think living like sold out for Jesus just gives you mentally a pass to, like, ignore your regular responsibilities towards yourself, towards your family, towards your friends, to your partner, and to the world. Like, I'm living sold out for Jesus, so, like, like I won't tithe. Like, I do all this stuff. I can't afford to tithe because I took such a bad job with this church that I, and I, and will advocate for a better salary or, um, I'm so on fire for Jesus. I'm working for this, um, ministry that has me working six days a week, 10 hour days. I haven't seen my friends in eight months Mm -hmm. and, um, we don't talk anymore Mm -hmm. and I have no idea what's going on with them. Or I'm so sold out for Jesus that, um, my wife is home all day alone with our kids, trying to take care of them. And I am not involved at all. So I just, I think it, a lot of times can lead us trying to prove that we are sold out for Jesus. Um, especially when you make it your career. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Has you just giving up a lot of the responsibilities that you have in a relationship with all kinds of people, your family, your friends, your spouse. Um, right. Which Sarah Les- has a really great co- quote where she's talking
0: about, <clears throat> she's talking to, she had just recently discovered kind of Tozer's relationship with his wife and She was discussing, um, I think, anyways, I'll just read the quote. We had watched as those who led us, faithful ones who loved Jesus and carried mighty gifts, one after another, lost their marriages or their relationship with their children, all in pursuit of their, and this is all in caps, or this is capitalized like a proper noun, their great big call for great big ministry. Yeah. Yeah. I think what Claire said about like making ministry your career, like there's a difference between a job and a career. Having your job be ministry, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. That's, that's, there's nothing wrong with that. But career indicates you have to make choices of sacrifice when you are working towards a career. And in ministry, I feel like it's almost become acceptable to make choices at the expense of your family and your marriage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is tough. And like, as someone that's married to someone that wants to make a career out of some type of ministry, like that's, that's some scary stuff to look at, you know, people in the past that have like lost their families effectively because they chose, they made choices for ministry over their family. Um, yeah. So learning how to balance that is, I think a very personal and individualized endeavor, but I've never heard (laughs) very I've heard very few people talk about like what does it look like to prioritize your family over your call. Right. Yeah. I I don't know. Because your family is your call. Your call to your family and your spouse is above your call to your call to ministry.
1: Yeah. And I would argue like your the family you're born into, your siblings, your parents, like you have a responsibility to them, especially as your parents age and also. Christians are so bad at friendship. I cannot emphasize that enough. (laughs) Like, just they're so bad at it. But I was going to say something else. Oh, I don't remember who put this on Twitter, but it was a guy and he just popped up because like someone I follow followed him. And he was saying like, pray for me and my wife. We are like every year when I basically, I guess renew his contract with the ministry he works with I think that's it or something or like once a year they basically pray and take stock of like the state of their family and whether or not he should continue in that ministry and like if it's still healthy for his family to be doing it and I was like that's crazy like
0: I, I wish I've had never heard often. of him
1: <laughs> yeah I was like I didn't know you could do that and then I think I read later on that he and his wife had decided like you know, I think it's probably best to transition to a different job. And I was like, that is real love for your kids and your wife, like, mm-hmm. to do that. And I, I was just really like, "I, that's an option. Wow, that's crazy. And I think about like, you know, we grew up as ministry kids. We know ministry kids. There's some people who probably could have benefited from like their parents taking like an extended break from what they were doing, including us, mm-hmm. maybe. Yeah.
0: I think in some extreme cases you even see like severe cases, and I don't know anyone. Well, I we I used to know people like this, but there are there are extreme narcissists out there and people who are so who are convinced that that they have heard a call from God. Whereas I think we're talking about people who may kind of unknowingly put their family um, in unstable positions. We I, there are people out there who are just so consumed with this idea that they are you know, slaves to Christ, quote unquote, that they will jeopardize their family's relationships. They'll uproot them and move them frequently. They'll put them in dangerous situations, um, like that kind of stuff. And I, thankfully, don't know anyone like that anymore, but we have seen people who really just feel like what they hear from God is right and there's no one who can tell them otherwise. And so they're going to essentially um let their family drift and or let their relationship with their spouse become very um unhealthy and and subservient and um, um and then out of that stems like a lack of friendship and just a general loss of standing in any community at all so i think that's kind of like an extreme example of what could happen but it's there so yeah, yeah. so Anywhere from just people who desperately want to get married and, and kind of stick a, a Christian like smiley face over that issue all the way up to narcissistic personality disorder, I right? think. <laughs> Mark Driscoll. All right, so let's move on to our next point, um, and that is, should you love Jesus more than you love a person? And what does that practically mean? So... I found this um, C.S. Lewis quote. It's from like one of his letters. And basically it says, when I have learned to love God better than my earthly dearest, I shall love my earthly dearest better than I do now. And so far as I learn to love my earthly dearest at the expense of God, and instead of God, I shall be moving towards the state in which I shall not love my earthly dearest at all. When first things are put first, second things are not suppressed, but increased. Um, And I love that quote because I feel like it's just so like countercultural to what I said at the beginning, which is that concept of like, I love God more than I love my spouse. Um, Because he's saying that like, obviously comparatively, our love for God far outweighs our love for human relationships, or it should. Um, We yearn for that, of course. But (laughs) <laughs> but we don't have to to really make sure that people get that by saying, like, obviously, I love God more than I love my spouse. Like, we don't need to prove our, our our great love for God by by suppressing our love uh for for real human relationships in our lives. Um so basically what Lewis is saying is like I when I love my spouse or whatever that beloved individual is my, I am also loving God. And when I love God, I'm loving my beloved individual as well. Um, and, and he does provide a caveat in saying when I, when I idolize that beloved relationship and when I treat that, that, that relationship as if it is God in my life, I cease to love that individual at all. There is no true love that is not flowing from love of God. Um, and the best part, like the puncher for me is like the very last sentence when he says, when first things are put first, second things are not suppressed but increased. And that's to say basically if you are loving God faithfully with your heart, mind, soul, spirit, berries and cream, like oh, <laughs> like <come on>. you <laughs> you are <laughs> like your love of everyone else in your life is not going to be hurt but it is going to be magnified. Like if I, if I love God so much that, that the best way for me to express that is by working in ministry, then that is not going to destroy my relationships. It's going to bolster better, truer and, and more relationships in my life. So my ministry is not at the expense of my family, of my relationships, of serving my community. My it's, it's a, it's a result of my love of God. Like, yeah. God calls us into thing. Like the life that God calls us into is not one that is bad for us. It's one that makes us better and that, you know, leads us into a deeper lifetime of love, an internal lifetime of love. And so it's a natural outflowing of what it means to be a Christian. If If you truly are loving God, like you said, with all your heart and soul and mind and strength, to see your love increase for all the other relationships in your life naturally. Right. Like, and you know, there are so, I'm not a naturally loving person. I would never love most people if, you know, I didn't love Jesus first or if he hadn't loved me first, because people are stupid and faulty. (laughs) Um, Amen. But he. Absolutely no factory reset button on them whatsoever. (laughs) Yeah. (gasps) So you can't just shove them back up there and say, all right, reprint. Um, but the more you love Jesus, the more you look like Jesus and the more you love like Jesus. I think that statements like I love Jesus more than I love you or I love this person are not helpful, especially when you're talking about children or you're talking about – I think children especially. And I'd like to hear your perspective more on this, Emily, from a developmental like, um viewpoint but i feel like that would build a hierarchy i guess of like dad loves jesus more than yeah. dad loves god then dad loves mom and then dad loves me so if i'm upset or if i'm in pain but mom is in more pain dad has to take care of mom first before he Correct. takes care of me and i and then it also sets you up to compete against jesus for the love of your parent
1: freud right? would get into that
0: or even if you're not the most emotionally secure Spouse or boyfriend or girlfriend. If you hear someone say, "I love God more than you," then you're going to start to feel like you need to compete with God for the love and attention of someone of this. Person. Yeah, does that make sense? I, that makes perfect sense. And I think like you're drawing out a really important point because I think that is a problem that like <laughs> whether we realize it or not, like exists for a lot of kids because. Right when you hear that there is like a structure of love for when you hear that there's a structure of love in your caregiver's life and you acknowledge and you are able to see where you are in that structure that that creates a sense of how do i stay where i am in this spot what will i do that will make me lose my rank what can i do to become the top ranking individual on this hierarchy and that is not a healthy thing for any like a child or an individual you need that sense of like no matter what i'm always going to have that um safety net of being able to fall back into my parents love like knowing that they just love me unconditionally is extremely important. And and I think that's also important for spiritual development as well, because what we learn from our parents is usually what we learn about God. So if I learn from my parents that I'm number three on the list, then when I project that onto my relationship with God, I hear that, okay, God loves his spouse more than he loves me individually. So God wants to love and take care of his church more than he wants to love and take care of me. That has to be done first. Then me as an individual comes next. That is also not good because that is not how it works. Um, God's love for us is unconditional. He is always there, always present, always ready to meet our needs, always ready to show and reveal his love to us. And as parents, that should be the case too. So to say to your kid, like, you know, I I love you so much. Mommy loves you so much. I always love you, but I'm always going to love Jesus first. Mm-hmm. Ah. As a middle child, that stings. Facts. So, yeah, I think you make a really good point. Like, that can be a really damaging message to send to kids and to people with any kind of insecure or anxious attachment. Claire, you have any
1: thoughts? Um, Something you said about, like, like. How would you feel if, like, that was, like, your partner? And, like, if you're not – if you don't grow up like this, if, like, this isn't how you're socialized, like, imagine becoming a believer, like, in high school or college and then getting into a relationship with someone who's like this and hearing that. Oh, my gosh. I would be upset. Like, okay. Like, I mean, I love Jesus, too, and, like, he's transformed my whole life. But, like, do you really have to say I love Jesus more than I love you? Dude, like, what's what's the deal? So I think that can also be really damaging in relationships. And and I think I think it's just not as like clear for us because a lot of people who we see act like this have like all grown up like this and like this is how they are they are socialized into this.
0: Right. I think it's a natural thing for them to say. Yeah. Almost expected. Yeah. 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 And I think honestly, we've conditioned ourselves to. To say that statement, in reality, all we're doing is trying to confirm to ourselves that we do love God more than we love other people in our life. And so, in reality, that that statement is by no means a true reflection of our love for God. It's actually just a way to affirm and validate ourselves that, like, our love for God is satisfactory as long as it exceeds our love for other people. And that's just a self-serving statement, which I honestly don't think pleases God. So, yeah. when we like- use God to to validate ourselves and to confirm, you know, that, you know, we are spiritual enough. I don't really, I don't, I'm not sure that God takes light in that. If you just keep telling yourself something over and over again, that doesn't make it true. We're not manifesting here. Like if I just say that I love God enough, then I will love God enough. And, and all my other relationships will kind of trail behind me as I go. If you're, if you're entering into this relationship where, or a, a relationship and you're and you're telling yourself this, or you're telling your spouse this, or your boyfriend or girlfriend this, or your child this, or your friend this, um or or even you know your employee this. I don't know. Um, I'm just trying to think of all like social relationships here. You know, you're also failing to, to recognize that you're as humans, our love is always imperfect. Um, we can never love God perfectly. We can't yeah. like Claire said, you can't quantify it. You can't say, well, you know, if I'm going to, if I, if I'm going to have, you know, sex with my spouse for an hour today, then I'm going to pray for two hours tomorrow. Amen. But it doesn't make sense. And it also, like, I feel like that would create such a lack of security in also God's love for you because I would just feel like, I don't know. I don't
1: know. god's love is not dependent on how much you love him that is work that is a workspace salvation mm-hmm. and it reminds me emily because emily what emily said about like we'll tell ourselves this just by accident i like i've have done that and then been like what am i saying mm-hmm. like i know i i know like my love for these people like to someone else who didn't understand god like even like at all I mean, not that any of us understand him, but would be like, yeah, she loves like her friends and her family and her boyfriend more than she loves God. Because like she talks to them more and she thinks about them more and she texts them and FaceTimes them and and writes them letters. And like all she does is go to church and read her Bible once a day. like, right. And so like we catch ourselves thinking like that. But it reminds me of like, oh, well, like, I'm going to say like, I love God more than I love my this. It reminds me of the Pharisees being like, thank you, God, that I'm not like that sinner over there. It's like, thank you, God, that I am not, you know.
0: that I'm so not in love with this person that I Yeah. Am. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, it just,
1: it's very like, so it I just feels very works.
0: Them. I So I think where this statement really stems from is from Luke 14, 26 that says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And I just... I. We back with that literalism, you know, like, like we really yeah. thought, like, clear. the text is clear. The text is clear. Like, if I don't hate Nathan's guts, then by golly, I don't love God.
1: So, some, was- some
0: marriages took that to heart, <laughs> truly, they did. Um, so, but I, th- I just, I, I just am not sure that that's quite what Jesus means. Like, I think, I think if it. My, I am by no means a theologian. I just married one, so I mean, you can't hold me accountable for anything I say. But I think what this is getting at is, like, comparatively, our love for other people truly does not even look like love when we compare our love to God. Like, our love for a whatever God is and all of His magnificence comparatively looks like it. Our our human relationships. you you bounced out what were you saying basically just that our our i think in like if we look at this verse as comparison like comparative love like our love for god will look so different from love for other relationships in our life that it's like how could you ever compare the two because Mm -hmm. to to love god is not to love another human it is so different yeah Mm -hmm. that's apples and like cats like, God apples. is definitely apples in the situation.
1: <laughs> Y'all are all cats.
0: I think, and I also feel like, and this might be a good way to to pivot into the next. Um, actually, I'll come. I'll come back to that, and then we can pivot to the next point. But James, I liked this quote from James K. Smith um, from "You Are What You Love." The orientation of the heart happens from the bottom up through the formation of our habit of desire, learning to love God takes practice. And I I think he's talking more about, you know, spiritual disciplines and things like that. But I, it's just a good reminder that the love you feel for God is not the butterflies you feel in your, in your stomach for, you know, a partner, or it's not the love you feel for your newborn baby or for your best friend. Like there are elements of that in your love for God, because, you know, loving God is so all encompassing. What are you doing? I'm sorry, Emily. Are you playing Fruit Ninja again? Oh, my gosh. (laughs) What is she doing?
1: (laughs) What is wrong with her? I don't know. Also, she keeps cutting out for me, so she's moving and like...
0: I think she's muted right now.
1: Cuts. I think you're muted. I'm 100% muted. (laughs) <laughs> I was taking a
0: picture with my iPad. <laughs> okay. I said I'm married into an immigrant family. Can you tell? <laughs> with the iPad. <laughs> oh
1: my God. We got to move on. We got to move on. I know.
0: Look, I remember what I was saying, but basically. Sorry. I like learning to love God <laughs> takes practice, according to Smith. And. I just feel like that's an important thing also to, like, take into consideration when you think about how imperfect our love for God, for Christ, and the Spirit is as humans. <laughs> like, yeah. So yeah. It, and 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 I'm I'm trying to use that as, like, a jumping off point to talk about, like, um, I kind of want to revisit and go back to the Jim Elliott thing and this idea of, I don't know how old he was, but, you know, young kid, young adult trying to – love God perfectly and love people around him perfectly and failing at both because he's human and we would all do the same thing. And like, just if you're listening to this and you feel like you're in a similar position, just a reminder that learning to love God takes practice. And the more you love God and the deeper you sink into that, the more your love for others will outflow. But back to Jim Elliot. Um, What we see, I think a lot of, People in our lives would probably relate more to his situation than they would, you know, literally packing up your wife and mailing her to India or leaving your wife alone um, to raise, you know, however many kids Tozer had. They're not going to relate to that as much as they might relate to the Jim and Elizabeth relationship, which is very much about like gaslighting and like um, a lot of lack of. Emotional intimacy for fear of where that might lead, because as everyone knows, emotional intimacy is always followed by other forms of inappropriate intimacy, apparently was the train of thought here. And so, um, and I think we do see that in some of the, well, maybe I should ask you guys, do you guys think that we see similar patterns repeated in with this whole dating for Jesus mentality, I guess? Do you see an? Uh, do you see that desire to have very strict emotional boundaries in place? Yes
1: or no? Maybe. I think so. I think I think people get it's like the whole concept that we talked about in the first two episodes, like giving your heart away, mm-hmm. because like, yeah, because as humans, I think it is pretty natural to want to reduce the amount of like emotional ties we have to a degree, like. Because it is hard to be like emotionally tied to a person and then like have that like break up like and I think that's a lot of times to the mentality of people who are like I don't want to date until I'm super ready because like I just want to have less failed relationships behind me basically which you know you, we can talk about the benefits or cons of that all day but I think you know there really is that genuine thought of like emotional intimacy can lead first of all to other to physical like intimacy that is eventually viewed as sinful, like which, okay, and then just like that thought of like I can't, and it's very compartmentalized. Like I can't love too many things at once. Yeah, I don't know.
0: Yeah, um,
1: I don't know if that made any sense. No, it
0: does. Jim has a quote in his journal. Where he says, what makes me tremble is that I might allow something else, Betty Howard, for instance, which is Elizabeth, to take the place that my God should have. Which I think on the surface that reads fine. And it's like, and again, I think this is why Jim and Elizabeth are definitely like held up as these paradigms of purity. It's like, wow, what a man of God, like doesn't want to even think about this girl because he's afraid it might take away from like the place that God is owed. But what it seems in the context of like what we know about their courtship and the fact that he held her at arm's length for so long that he ended up just kind of breaking and going around and having flings with other women. It just seems like he has just a general fear of <laughs> intimacy in general and commitment. Um, so I, my view is that I think that this, this, when you're working with people who have this sold out for Jesus on fire for Jesus, um, Attitude or perspective, who are also like on the hunt for a mate, quote unquote, um, they often have those very firm boundaries in place to not even protect themselves, like what we talked about a few episodes back, but to protect God in a way, yeah, God's space in their life. Am I making sense?
1: I yeah, know. no, that makes sense because <laughs> it's like, it's like. <sighs> having emotional boundaries that is great but like Mm -hmm. having it because you are afraid that god will be knocked out of like number one in your life is a little odd to me i and i think maybe that's just because we have our like our ideas of idolatry all wrong but i mean i this is just a a thought i just had but like dang i mean idolatry in the old testament was like like you know, it's very vivid and like very there. And in the New Testament, I mean, it, but we had like full on narrative in the Old Testament. So it's like, you know, I don't know. I don't think anyone was saying he loves that golden calf more than he loves God. So I don't. This isn't a well developed thought yet. I don't know. I so think,
0: I think I, I making idols out of love and relationships is definitely something that we're t- that's talked about a lot in our contemporary yeah culture which there's truth to that for sure absolutely i think of like the scene and there's a scene in the great divorce where which if you're not familiar with the plotline of that it's basically like a bus trip to hell and one of the people on the bus was a woman who had a very unhealthy and obsessive love with her t- for her son to the point where oh, it got yeah. her like she rode the bus to hell because she was unwilling to let go of that that love for him um I, pr- I might have butchered it but so there is an element of truth there but um i just feel like i don't know i feel like for a lot of christians i just want to give them permission to just to not be jim Elliot's.
1: <laughs> yeah
0: i don't know maybe i'm off track with this but N- yeah, yeah i mean sense. i think to speak to what you just said i think like we have an issue with elevating relationships too much when we rely on them to meet needs that we know that they can't. And and that's like, and even then, like there's some gray area there because we always look to humans to meet needs that only God can meet. But I think there's a d- degree in which we take that too far. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah. And looking at like, I think you could potentially make some excuses for Carrie in the sense that him and his wife probably didn't marry for love. They married because back then it was something that was necessary. You need They married woman. for berries and cream. Stop. <laughs> 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 oh, my gosh. Can you, have you guessed yet who had the cocktail yet and who didn't? <laughs> um,
1: Claire did have the cocktail. You were no, right.
0: She did not. She did not.
1: I did not. Doesn't mean I won't. Listen, I'm looking
0: at the legal to purposes. Meet, that was a joke to meet needs that only God can meet. For Anyways. Carrie, he's looking for you know, you needed someone to run the household and to take care of the children yeah. because you know, it, think of all that went into that back then. And but right. when you look at Tozer, and even when you look at Jim, um, it's it's a different. Oh man, I'm losing my train of thought because of that stupid. I hate you. Um, they married for different reasons. Marriage was or, not quite as much as right. a necessity as it probably was for the Carries, right? And so I feel like I don't know anything about Tozer's courtship, but for Jim not have, having all of that turmoil and kind of leaving Elizabeth just in the lurch for so long, and then finally just being like, "Well, I need a spouse to you know go to the Amazon. Do you want you want to hop on like?" I I just, mm. I don't see how that could have led to a healthy relationship. Yeah. And I, I I also would just like to say, like, I think that there is a sense in which, you know, what the type of courtship that Jim and Elizabeth had, there is some fear of intimacy there, but, and I don't want to speak ill of the dead, especially people that, you know, were martyred in the name of ministry. But, um, but for any of our listeners, if you uh, if you find yourself falling in some of Jim's patterns, I right, think – Right, 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 yeah. And recognize like, hey, is there something that may – do I have some issues with intimacy? But also like might be a time to take a look at your ego here too. Right. And I think um, that's the point I wanted to make with this is like I feel like that's what we run into more now is people who are either dating people who are like that, who have that ego – or or have those emotional intimacy issues. Like literally the Gregoire quote, I'm just going to read it again because it's so freaking good. um, Maybe part of the reason that some are sold out for Jesus is because they have vulnerability and intimacy issues and can't get close to anyone else. And it's so easy and natural to be sold out for God. So if you're entering into a relationship with someone who feels, or if you are in one and you feel like they check some of these boxes, it might be time to sit down and be like, hey, you know, what's going on here
1: yeah if you can't hold people i don't know like and and i understand like i've i've done like my own unpacking not just not with like relationship like romantic relationships but like struggling to trust people like and, and you know struggling to develop relationships because of that um but like if that's you like you need to examine why and like if you're holding people at an arm's length because of that, especially when they're in a relationship with you, why do you think that that relationship will be successful?
0: Exactly, right. Like
1: you can't expect that and it's not fair to expect someone to stay in a relationship with you if you're like that and you don't do anything about it. And
0: it's one thing to have those trust issues or those fear issues that stem from things that have happened to you that are painful. It's another thing to have them and call them holy. I think that's my big thing. like big. I know so many, especially girls, because guys all want to be pastors and, and youth pastors, LOL. Um, and they're like, I just, and they, they you see that block in the relationship and you just want to go in and like kick it down and be like, there's something wrong here. Like this person's ego and this person's desire for what he or she considers their calling is taking precedence over them loving you. And yeah. I hate that. And I, I don't know it's really hard to talk because I have specific people in mind and I'm trying not to <laughs> like, um, ladies and gentlemen, if you find yourself as an Elizabeth, honey, just run, run away. Um, or, or don't run away. I mean, Jenna or at I least confront them. Deal with it, yeah. are married. And as far as I know, she, she did love him. How yeah. How, but how she how also really encouraged know. like a major passive role. So if Jim is the only person pursuing you, might as well jump on the train because you never know when another one might come to the station.
1: Yeah. Yeah. At the end of the day, you are allowed to to choose your husband. Like you don't have to wait to be chosen. Anyways.
0: Anyways. That was that was just kind of like that's something I walked away from is especially for women in our lives. I feel like this is such a easy thing to fall into and it's easy to excuse because they just love God so much.
1: Yeah. And also like you, you are not an accessory to someone's ministry. Mm -hmm, Like, mm -hmm. Oh, it's so frustrating. Like you are not, if, even if they are full-time ministry and you are full-time stay at home queen, you know, and you do you like, you are not an accessory to someone's ministry. Like their ministry is like you do not need to like bend to that just because like they have this great big call and I get so frustrated when I just see that like oh well you know he they're gonna do this like they're gonna be a pastor so like basically like I'm gonna have to put up with low like low income like all this stuff and be viewed as the pastor's wife and like go through and all this And not things. even to mention how people treat pastor's wives. Yeah. Which if, yeah, I, not that I am one obviously, but like just the things you hear about it, it sounds not very fun. Yeah. All right. Anyways, that um, point probably made no sense.
0: No, it did at some point, but I think we, I think we've hammered that one home. Okay. So what are some of our final thoughts wrap-up thoughts, things we want to go back to. We'll start with Emily. I don't know. I mean, I feel like I can't say anything I've already said. Um, My wrap-up thoughts would just be like, you love God well by loving others well in your life. And if you're not loving others well in your life, then there should be some question as to how, what's your love like with God? Um. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that would just be, I guess, if I was to say reflect on this after listening, that would be that would be what I would say. And in addition to that, like, I don't remember who said it, if it was me, Claire, Abby, probably all three of us. But God, your call to ministry will not cause your um, your real relationships to suffer to an extent where you have to make choices that put your family, your marriage, um, or whatever else um, at, at risk in a way that that is almost irreparable, if that makes sense. Obviously, there's choices and there's costs, and, and there is risk in pursuing ministry, of course, but um, there is a degree in which... There is risk that God invites us into and draws us into and there is risk in which God says to turn away because um that risk is coming at the, at the expense of like your own mm-hmm. um, personal um, advancement mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or call you to hurt your family to advance yeah, yourself. Sure. I'd even say yeah, like if you're not, if you're not, if your love for Jesus causes you to fail loving others, then you're in sin. Yeah.
1: So. God. Um, I think my only wrap up thoughts are like, I think, I think talking about this has made, has reminded me we need to rethink how call to ministry is viewed Mm -hmm. and, um, particularly how it's posited towards young people who are unmarried and looking to be married. And I don't want to say particularly men since I give y'all a lot of hard time, but take it with the little extra seasoning there, I guess, and, you know, re-examine that. And if you, and I do not want to diss a call to ministry, I, and I have seen people do this really well, have healthy marriages, have healthy families for the most part. I mean, no family's perfect. Um, and they are really like living as they were called, which whether it was to Asia or to small towns in Tennessee, I've seen them do it well. And I've also seen people do it really, really, really badly. And I'm just trying to look at those examples. And I think the thing that I can take away from all of it is like humility and not valuing um, a call that, you know, maybe you believe in the direct hearing, the direct voice of God. Maybe you don't. I believe the most, for specifically people in the West who, who have the Bible in our language, you know, it's primarily through the word of God that we're spoken to. And what I see in that word is live as you are called. And for me, that is, you know, living to love my family as best I can to love my friends as best I can and not make my own life career or what I want to do for God so big that other people are cast to the side. Right. That was, I, that my train of thought got real wobbly there, but it's <laughs> good.
0: Um, I think um, I had two thoughts. The first one is I just keep thinking of the end of Jane Eyre where, <laughs> <laughs> where she like, she, first she meets first of all he's her cousin which is fine in that context apparently but and he like is trying to convince her to come to india with him and as his wife like he's like marry me i don't love you he tells her that he's like i love another woman but she won't be a good partner and i'm i'm going to go to india and i'm going to die but i'm going to bring the gospel to these people and she's like You don't love me, so I'm not going to go with you. We don't have that, but I will go with you as your equal and as your partner. And he literally tells her, you're formed for labor, not love. And I think that, like you said, Claire, reframing call to ministry also means reframing, in some sense, for a lot of people, like the role that your partner might have in that call with you, if you have a partner at all. Um, And... I don't know. I just, that's just a quote that I've been thinking of a lot lately. Um, and then my other thing is you hear a lot about like if you're going to date someone, you should only pursue people who have their eyes only fixed on Jesus. And like, the only time that you should ever actually notice someone is if Jesus like stops you and turns you around and they're right there because they've been following just as closely behind him. But having your eyes fixed on Jesus should also mean having peripheral vision. And see yeah. all the people in your life who also need the love and restoration of the gospel, because you are the hands and the feet of
1: Jesus. Um, I mean, if, if his eyes are so fixed on Jesus, like how he's or is she, how are they even going to see you, Bestie? I don't know. Just trip over each other, I guess.
0: That quote also always sat wrong with me because, like, if you turn if you turn around, he's right there. Maybe he was just stalking you, like,
1: <laughs> or maybe you're just not going that fast, <laughs> like.
0: Just, just little try No runner, no track star.
1: <laughs> uh, I mean I was I was not a, ru- I was not a runner and a track star for Jesus when I got in a relationship. I mean I kinda was, but I was also incredibly screwed I was up. more like And I loved I was attention. more like a crawler and a superstar.
0: <laughs> Nowadays I feel like I'm like crab walking to Jesus. Like, what the yeah. heck is she doing? <laughs> Cupid
1: shuffling <laughs> to Jesus. <laughs> It right. was then yeah, that I carried you.
0: <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, we'll go ahead and end this here. Um, as usual, we're going to link all of the sources that we talked about, um, direct sources uh, in this bio. Um, but thank you guys so much for tuning in and listening to what is, as always, more of a rambling road trip to our witson than anything. But we hope that it was edifying for you, maybe it affirmed that you deserve to be loved um or maybe it confronted you with the fact that you should love others better or maybe a little bit of both but mm. yeah uh, yep. <laughs> as always we do this for love of the church and life of the world and i don't remember any of the we've used in the past but yeah thanks guys